Hi there, it's Annie here and welcome back. Um, we're on chapter two of White Gossamer. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the first um, chapter in the prologue. Um, so it's a cold day here today, so um, I'm not going to go out this evening. Well, not that I normally go out in the evening, but um, yeah, I thought I would just come up and read another chapter. So I hope you're all well um, and it's nice and warm where you are. Um, and yeah, so let's just get on with chapter two. Okay, here we go. Chapter two. Mariana stumbled again. The journey home over rocks and boulders was an uphill climb she had made many times, but it was always more difficult when she carried such a heavy and precious load. Mariana had just exchanged a basket of handmade soap for a large bucket of oil, which she would use for cooking, heating and lighting her lamps. The soap had taken her over a week to make and was scented with the wildflowers and ferns which grew around her mountain home. The mermaids had liked it. They had liked its smell and the soft, luxurious bubbles which lathered up when they rubbed it against their skin, and they had paid her more than she had expected. The mermaids had filled her oil bucket to the brim, and even though Mariana had been pleased at the exchange, it was now proving to be a long and tiring battle not to spill any of the liquid on her journey back home. Mariana had already left a long trail of black splodges behind her, and she feared that by the time she reached her home, high on the mountainside, she would have lost more than the extra she had gained. I will bring two buckets next time, she mumbled to herself as another dark splodge hit the ground and splashed over her feet. Even if the mermaids do not give me extra oil, at least I will be prepared, and maybe then I will get home before the sun sets and without the need for another bath. The liquid continued to slop languidly in the bucket, its smooth black undulating waves glistening in the searing midday sun. Another splash escaped over the side and hit the rock under Mariana's feet. The soles of her thin, worn-down shoes were no match for the slippery liquid, and her feet suddenly shifted from under her. Mariana lost her balance and fell to the ground, crashing down onto her knees. Damn it, she shouted into the arid air, quickly scrambling to pull the bucket upright before even more of its contents were lost to the thirsty ground. Managing to save only a little bit of the oil, wearily she sat down, watching as the spilt oil slid lazily down the mountainside slope like a shining black snake. And as it made its stealthy escape, its smooth jet-black surface seemed to twinkle in silent mockery at her under the glare of the beating sun. Mariana looked down at her knees and winced. The skin was torn open and trails of red blood ran down her shins. Sighing, she untied the cloth scarf from around her head, wiped the sweat from her brow, the blood and grit from her knees, and then leaned back in her hands to look over the clear view of the land below. She could still see the trading wall, where she had, only an hour ago, just exchanged her handmade soap for oil. The trading wall was a long, broad stone wall positioned 100 metres out to sea, which served as the countertop upon which bartering and exchange of goods took place between merfolk and humans. Behind the wall were ten merpeople, five men and five women, and in front, from the wall right back to the shore and beyond, were ten meandering queues of humans, all waiting patiently to trade their wares. The humans offered soap, food and water, and the merfolk offered oil, sea-based potions, medicines and liquor, and salvaged goods. The wall had been built up from the ocean floor, and it rose to about two feet above the surface. Behind it, the sea was treacherously deep, and only truly safe for the mer person or the strong swimmer. In front of the wall, the water was still shallow enough for humans to wade into. And so, it was the geographical features of this particular stretch of shoreline which had made it the perfect location for trade between the two peoples to thrive and grow. Behind the wall, the mer people were safe. In front of the wall, the humans could wade in close. And since it was the mer people who controlled the supply of oil, the main fuel of the human population, it was the mer people who decided where, when and what to trade. And they only traded where they felt safe.
and for what they needed. Over the last few years, the balance of power on the Earth's surface had been slowly tilting. Once it had been the humans who were perceived to have the better life than the mer people, free from the cruel and restless ties of the sea. But now it was clear that a minority of mer people were becoming more and more prosperous and powerful, and their prosperity was directly linked to the control and influence of one man, Normain. No creature on land or sea argued with Normain. Normain was a merman, as hard and rough as the wave-battered rocks. He had an instantly recognisable shining mane of long white hair and was regarded as the leader of this part of the ocean, the great white shark who prowled the shores and depths, claiming all that he encountered, taking all that he wanted. Throughout his 60 years, Normain had amassed a fortune in possessions, wealth and control, as well as controlling the working lives of most of the merfolk in the region. It was Normain who controlled the collection and supply of oil and the collection and exchange of salvaged goods, and he kept control by fear. Normain was the biggest merman anyone alive could recall. His length from head to tip of tail was nearly 12 feet long, with broad muscular chest and shoulders of formidable strength. And even though his blue eyes, wide smile and round healthy cheeks made him look genial and kind, there was one very menacing physical characteristic which Normain possessed. In the blink of an eye, Normain could bear to any threatening foe a wide set of sharp teeth, which would cut like a razor through flesh and bone. It was thought that Normain was the product of a merewoman who had been cast off by her poor starving family because he had become too large to feed. His father, however, was unknown. Maybe his father had been similar in size to Normain, or maybe he had had some other form of mutation from the normal merman. Mutations in merfolk were not uncommon. Their world was polluted and the consequences of that on the breeding population were uncharted and unchecked. But most of these mutations had been to the detriment of the mer person who received them. For example, some children had been born without a fully formed or functioning tail or with eyes widely set on the side of their head, resulting in strange appearance and visual impairment, with flippers instead of arms or with a full fish body and human head. But not Normain. He used his differences as weapons and he used them to his advantage. When his great bulk appeared from under the ocean or out from his huge and ornately decorated cave, it was as if the Neptune of ancient legends was rising once again from the depths of the mighty waves. Through the smooth haze of heat which rose up off the burning rocks, Mariana continued to watch the people waiting patiently in the long winding queues or busily wading back to shore with their exchanged goods clutched in their hands. Little children played in the rock pools while their mothers waited or haggled. Life on the shore was orderly. It was routine. It was a normal day of trade. This was all that Mariana knew, all that made sense. For the past year, this place and these people had been Mariana's life. Beyond that time, she could remember nothing. The only thing she knew with certainty was her name, but only her first name. And not being able to remember who she was was a feeling she could not adequately describe. It was a feeling beyond emptiness or loneliness. Sometimes in her dreams, she dreamt that she was a spirit floating above the earth, searching for the body that was hers to claim. And that was the best way she could describe it. She felt like nobody. She felt like she did not really exist. But although she could remember nothing about her past, she was convinced that she had not always felt as weak and battered as she did today. She could not explain why, she just felt it. She was sure that once she had been strong and agile, and that gave her hope. For if her body had once been strong, then perhaps her mind had been too. Every day her body felt stronger, her aches and her pains were slowly fading, and she was healing from whatever it was that had caused her to feel so weak. And hopefully that same process was occurring within her mind. Something had caused her to lose her memory, 
something she was sure had not been pleasant. So if her mind was also healing from its own unspoken trauma, then one day her memory might come back to her and she would start to remember who she was and where she had come from. She just had to keep trying. All she could do was keep trying. Mariana ran her fingers through her short hair, pulling her lengthening fringe away from her eyes. Her hair sat just over her ears. It had been practically shaven to her head this time last year, and it was growing in a loose, uneven mop which fell constantly into her eyes. The hairband she normally wore was now wrapped like a bandage around her wounded knee and soaked through with sweat and blood. She couldn't use it for her hair now. She would just have to put up with her annoying fringe falling into her eyes. She was just about to get up and start walking again when suddenly Mariana heard a coarse scrunching sound from behind, followed by several pieces of stone pinging against her back. Turning around, she saw a wide column of mountain dust, in the middle of which was the outline of a large, broad-shouldered man, who was skidding ungracefully on his bottom, straight toward her, on a direct collision course with Mariana's back and shoulders. Swiftly, Mariana shuffled to the side, just as the fast-moving man came to an abrupt halt, an abrupt halt, using his large hands and feet as powerful brakes. Fred! Mariana gasped as she peered through the dust to, f- to, fa- to the face of the man lying next to her. You okay? Fred, very clumsy today, the man said in amusement, wiping the dust from his forehead with the back of his large calloused hand, only to succeed in smearing it into a thick black smudge. You certainly are, Mariana replied, smiling at the dirty grinning face of her friend. Then Fred's smile changed to a frown and he grabbed Mariana's wounded knee. Ah, Mariana went slapping his hand away. That's sore. Fred did not know his own strength. Fred is sorry, you are injured. You cannot walk. Fred will carry you. Fred will carry you home, he exclaimed. Frederick was Mariana's friend. He was adorable, funny and kind. He was a broad square chunk of a man about the same height as Mariana, but about three times as wide. He was very strong, but also quite clumsy, and he walked with a widely spaced gait, partly because his thighs were so massive and partly to give his body a stable walking base. He had no hair on his head and always wore a cap, which he had bought from the mermaids. The mermaids had a large store of salvaged cloth cap goods and one particular stall which sold ties, shirts and caps of all varieties. Fred had traded his sharpened tools for some of their flat cloth caps and now he had a collection of about 25 of them, all the same style and almost all exactly the same colour, brown. He was never seen without one. They kept the sun off his bald head, a smile on his lips and, most endearingly of all, they suited him. There were only two people Mariana could remember ever knowing, and Fred was one of them. She had known him for only a year. The day they had met had been the day he had swum into the ocean and saved her life, and from that day on Fred had become very loyal and very reliant upon her. She was glad of his company and grateful for his unquestioning friendship, but Fred was not always easy to be around. There was another side to Fred, one which was dark and very morose. When Fred was sad, he was so miserable to the point of depression and it was a sadness rooted deep in his heart. His introspective and bitter melancholy silences could last for days or even weeks and there was nothing anyone could do to help him, not even Mariana, his one and only friend. No, Fred, don't be daft. You can't carry me home. I can walk just fine, but you can help me carry this bucket of oil. I'm so sick of it I could kick it straight back down this mountain. Quickly, Fred picked up the bucket, a genuine look of fear on his face that she might possibly mean what she said. No, Amy, don't kick the bucket. The oil will spill. Oil is good. Oil is necessary. He was scolding her. He was serious. And it was funny. I didn't mean it, Fred. I was just annoyed, she smiled, pulling his cloth cap down over his eyes as she pushed herself up onto her feet. Come on, let's go home. Home, 
Fred agreed, picking up the bucket of oil in his big calloused hand like it was a soft teddy bear. So where have you been this morning? she asked him, pushing her annoying floppy fringe away from her face as they began to climb up the mountainside. Nowhere, Fred replied. Come on, you must have been somewhere. What were you up to? And what made you turn up here at this time of day? Normally I don't see you from sunrise till sunset. What were you doing hanging around on the mountainside before you almost collided into me? Nothing, Fred shrugged. Okay, so it was nothing that brought you here. I believe you, of course I do. Now show me your hands, she said, stopping in her tracks and pulling him to turn around. My hands? Show me your hands, she repeated. You know that I can tell when you are lying, and right now I think you are. So show me your hands, she repeated, placing her hands on her hips. Mariana felt very protective of Fred. In the past year he had helped her so much that she knew she would never be able to repay him. He had been her companion when she was desolate and alone. He had helped her find a house to live in and had helped her salvage some kind of meaning from a life that was scarily empty. It had been Fred who had saved her life a year ago and Fred who had given her enough shelter and warmth to get better. But sometimes, when he acted like a child, it made her treat him like one. She couldn't help it. He was a kind, big man whom she cared for a great deal and who sometimes just needed looking after. With sad, guilty eyes, Fred slowly pulled, put down the bucket of oil and turned his palms face up. Mariana leaned in close and sniffed. You've been down at the shore, she said, looking at his downcast eyes. You've been in the sea. I can smell the salt water in the seaweed. Fred, what have you been up to? Fred mumbled something under his breath. What? Again, he mumbled. Fred, just tell me, have you been looking for Nermain? No, Fred replied. Then what? What is it? Fred tried to look at her. It was hard for Fred to hide his emotions. He was as transparent as a clear running stream. He looked uncomfortable, guilty, his gaze shifting from the rocks to her face. He couldn't look at her. Whatever had happened had something to do with her. Fred, she asked as calmly as she could. You will be angry, he stated, kicking a rock by his feet. Maybe, but not for long, she said. With a heavy guilt-ridden face, Fred looked up. The man with the broken face and broken wings, he came back. He is here. He is looking for you again. Mariana's eyes narrowed in a painful frown, and she felt a little dizzy as a tremble ran through her. She had to sit down. This was not what she had expected him to say, and she didn't like how it made her feel. He is back? Are you sure? she said, sitting down on one of the rocks. Fred nodded and sat down next to her. Yes, I am sure. He is back. I saw him today. But I thought... I thought that he wasn't real. I thought that you had made him up. I thought that the man with the broken face and the broken wings was all in your imagination, she said to herself. After Fred had first found Mariana, he had told her about the man that he had described as having a broken face and wings. He had described him clearly and simply. He had said that his wings were jagged stumps, that he had a deep scar down the hole of the left side of his face and that his eye was completely covered over. And the picture he had painted left Mariana feeling like this man most probably didn't exist. He seemed unlikely, out of place. He seemed unreal. Fred had told Mariana that he had been sitting alone on the edge of the northerly shore, looking out at the ocean as it tumbled and crashed around the five stones of sacrifice, the huge stone obelisks which sat several metres out to sea, when he had first noticed something or someone lying on the top of the middle one. The middle stone had a large, round, flat surface, and the thing that rested upon it was spread out flat, while the grey tide was creeping in slowly to meet it and Fred had watched it for a while, wondering what it was, thinking that maybe it was a resting sea creature, 
waiting for it to get up and dive back into the water. But when it hadn't, he had then realised that the thing which lay unmoving and vulnerable was a human and had thought that whoever it was, was dead. So he had waited for the sea to wash the unfortunate person away. Then Fred had told her why he suddenly decided to go into the sea and save her, why he fought with the tide and crashing waves, when he had already believed her to be dead. A man came out of nowhere, Fred had explained. He told me the thing on the rocks was still alive. He told me it was you, a human female. He told me your name. He told me you had been left there to die. But he told me you were still alive. He said you were helpless. He said that if I did not save you, then nobody would. When he had told Mariana this, she found she was able to remember some of it. She remembered lying there on that huge stone as the waves lapped over her, threatening to wash her lifeless body away, because she had been semi-conscious in a sort of paralysed dreamlike state. She remembered the water, the smell and the sound, and she remembered being dragged to shore. And then when she awoke, she remembered seeing Fred sitting beside her, gently rocking back and forward. He had built a fire and she felt warm. The tide had gone out and she felt dry. And that was what she remembered. Those were the facts that her broken memory had let her keep from that day. But that was all. But why were you sitting on the cliff edge, she had asked. What were you doing there? But Fred had never answered her. And every time she tried to ask again, he just fell into a deep melancholy silence from which she took days or weeks to emerge from. After a while, she had stopped asking him, and part of her had not believed his story about the man with the broken face and the broken wings, because it didn't make sense. Why would a man appear from nowhere to tell Fred to save her? Why? But now as he stood beside her, telling her that the man had come back, she did believe him. You mean he's real, Mariana said, gazing vacantly out to the shore. I told you. I told you, Emmy. He was there on that day, on the day that I found you. I told you. I was. I saw you on one of the giant obelisks. I thought you were dead. I was sitting on the cliff and I was going to wait for the tide to take you. But the man just appeared. He told me that you were alive. He told me I should help you. The man with the broken face and the broken wings? Yes, he frightened me. But without him, I would have let you die. And maybe I would be dead too. Mariana squinted at Fred through the glaring sunshine. He was not lying, and the story he was telling her was exactly the same one as he had told her before. So you said you met him again, but why has he returned? What does he want? He said he wanted to meet you. He said he would come again tonight to the house. I told him no. I told him to stay away. I told him you did not want. Mariana put a hand on Fred's shoulder. Fred, it's okay, she said. I do not mind. I I want to meet him. If he comes, I will welcome him. If he helped me that night in the ocean, then I want to meet him. I want to know why. Hmm, Fred reluctantly grumbled. If he comes, then I will stay with you. Fred, you never come into the house. You do not have to start tonight. I will be fine. I am not scared. Nothing really scares me anymore. Nothing, especially not a man whose body sounds to be as broken on the outside as mine is on the inside. Amy is brave, Fred replied. Not brave, Mariana smiled. Then stupid, Fred frowned. Sounds more like it, she smiled. So do you know this man's name? Did he tell you what he's called? Nikolai, Fred replied. He said his name was Nikolai. The name meant nothing to her. Well, whoever he is and whatever he wants, we'll soon find out, she said. 
and maybe he might be able to help us, both of us. Fred shrugged his broad shoulders and pulled his flat cap up from his eyes. Fred hungry, he suddenly announced, springing up to his feet. You're always hungry, she smiled. Fred rubbed his belly. Food is good. Fred caught two rabbits today. Really? Emmy cook them? He asked with hopeful eyes. Of course I'll cook them. I'm starving too, you know. Come on, help me up and we'll get home. Fred took her hand and pulled her to her feet and they began once again to climb the mountain. So why did you think I'd be mad about this man Nikolai anyway, she asked. Don't know, Fred shrugged. You're such a big baby sometimes, Fred, she jeered, punching his stomach. Very big baby, very, very big baby, he boomed with laughter. Mariana laughed with him. It felt good to laugh, but the word baby stayed in her mind like a restless, fluttering butterfly. For a moment, Mariana's laughter faded and the view before her became became swirled to a blur in the intense afternoon heat. Baby, that word, baby. Within all the memories Mariana had built up over the past year, that one word seemed to be in constant, slow-moving revolution around her mind, coming into view with every complete turn, steady and sure, never fading, ever present. A word on a carousel, a word on a spinning top, baby, one word. And whenever or however it appeared, it always stopped her breath. Mariana would rack her brain for for its significance, but nothing ever came. Baby. The word tormented her, even in her dreams. Okay, that is the end of chapter two. I hope you enjoyed it. Okay, bye for now.